The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. So if you have your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 5. As you're finding that, uh, we're continuing on our principles for success. And uh, I, I just, I get really annoyed when words get hijacked. Um, you know, words like success have been hijacked and been given a different connotation. Same like words like prosperity have been hijacked. They're biblical words, folks. And so what we've got to do is just get back to the biblical um, definition of them and not allow them to be hijacked. Um, but because the question is, does God want you to fail? How many of you believe God wants you to fail? Okay, so how many of you know what the opposite of failure is? Exactly. So it's either God wants you to fail or God wants you to succeed. And I'm pretty sure that God does not want you to fail. So if he doesn't want you to fail, he wants you to succeed. But what we've got to do is put a biblical definition to success. And the biblical definition for success is fulfilling God's purpose for your life. So it doesn't matter what you gain. If you haven't gained God's purpose for your life, you haven't been successful. So your purpose in life is to fulfill God's plan, is to fulfill God's will. And if you've done that, you've been successful. If you haven't done that, I don't care how much money you've got in the bank. I don't care how many cars you've got in the garage. You haven't been successful. Fulfilling God's plan, God's will for your life, that's the real definition of success. I'm committed to it. You know, I'm committed to fulfilling God's plan for my life and not getting sidetracked. And another person that was committed to fulfilling God's plan for his life was Daniel. And as far as I'm concerned, Daniel is one of the classic illustrations of success in the Bible. So summary so far. Chapter 1, we see Daniel and his friends making a stand. You know, it was about eating the king's food that was sacrificed to idols. His attitude is, no, this goes against my principles. I'm making a stand. And God backed him up. Chapter 2 is uh, where he saves all of his mates from being killed because the king had a dream and he wanted uh, someone not only to interpret the dream but to tell him what the dream was. And Daniel was able to do that, saved everybody. And uh, chapter 3 is where his friends, it's uh, the, the, the three boys in the fiery furnace and where they make a stand and how God backs them up. How many of you know that when you make a stand for God, God makes a stand for you? Just don't forget that. Some of you right now... Uh, let me speak prophetically. Some of you right now are being pushed and shoved and uh, intimidated because you're making a stand for God. And uh, you're being attacked because you're making a stand for God. Let me tell you something. If you make a stand for God, God's going to make a stand for you. And you'll end up winning in the end. You need to write that down. Make a stand for God. He'll make a stand for you. I'm telling you, I'd rather God stand for me than any prime minister, any king or queen of this planet. Because God's stand will always last the distance. Can anybody say amen? Amen. Then chapter 4, Daniel explains a second dream of the king that was pretty intense. We saw the werewolf story in this one. And so if you want to find out about that, go to our website and check out Daniel chapter 4. Okay, so now we're in Daniel chapter 5. Just let me say a few things before we get into Daniel chapter 5. First thing I want to say is this, that from here on in, it's not in chronological order. Okay, so in actual fact, um, chapter 7 and chapter 8 
actually come before chapter 5 if you're looking at chronology. And so it's a, it's a little bit out of whack chronologically, but that's okay because we've got an amazing story that we're going to read today where the saying, the writing's on the wall. How many of you heard that saying, the writing's on the wall? It comes from this story in Daniel chapter 5. So what we've got as a saying in our language is a biblical story, the writing's on the wall. Um, second thing I want to say is that there is a huge gap between chapter 4 and chapter 5. Now, when I'm talking about a huge gap, I'm talking about over 60-year gap. That's what I'm talking about. So the last time we see Daniel, he's a very young man. Now that we see Daniel, he's in his 80s. So he turns up in chapter 5, and now, I, I don't know if you can imagine a man with gray hair and a gray beard and you know a few wrinkles on his face, but this is a different Daniel. This is not the young Daniel. This is old man Daniel. And, uh, but nevertheless, I want to say something about that. So I want to read to you chapter 5 out of the Message Bible. Is that okay? Just because it's, I'm going to read a fair bit. So here we go. Are you ready? Yeah. King Belshazzar. Everybody say Belshazzar. What a name. How many of you are going to name your kids Belshazzar? Uh, King Belshazzar held a great feast for, hey, get hold of this, 1,000 nobles. That's a pretty big feast. The wine flowed freely. Belshazzar, heady with the wine, ordered that the gold and silver chalices his father. Now, when, when the Bible says his father, it really means his ancestor. Because there were about five kings between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. So I just need for you to note that when it talks about father, it uses the word ancestor. Okay, Just in case you thought it's just one generation, it's about four or five generations away. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had stolen from God's temple of Jerusalem to be brought in so that he and his nobles, his wives and concubines, could drink from them. When the gold and silver chalices were brought in, the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank wine from them. They drank the wine and drunkenly praised their gods made of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. At that very moment, the fingers of a human hand appeared and began writing on the lamp-illumined, whitewashed wall of the palace. When the king saw the disembodied hand riding away, he went white as a ghost, scared out of his wits. His legs went limp and his knees knocked. He yelled out for the enchanters, the fortune tellers and the diviners to come. He told these Babylonian magi, anyone who can read this writing on the wall and tell me what it means will be famous and rich. Purple robe gold, great chain, and be third in command in the kingdom. One after the other, they tried, but could not make no sense of it. They could neither read what was written nor interpret it to the king. So now the king was really frightened. All the blood drained from his face. The nobles were in a panic. Then the queen heard of the hysteria among the king and his nobles and came to the banquet hall. She said, long live the king. Don't be upset. Don't sit around looking like a ghost. There is a man in your kingdom who is 
full of the divine Holy Spirit. During your father's time, your ancestor's time, he was well known for his intellectual brilliance and spiritual wisdom. He was so good that your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him the head of all the magicians, enchanters, fortune tellers, and diviners. There was no one quite like him. He could do anything, interpret dreams, solve mysteries, explain puzzles. His name is Daniel, but he was renamed Belteshazzar by the king. Have Daniel called in, he'll tell you what is going on. So Daniel was called in. Let's talk about this for a little while. First point that I want to make is this. 60 years between appearances. That's decades, folks. 60 years. Last time God used him was 60 years ago. Maybe 65 years ago was the last time God used him. Puts him on the shelf for 60 years. But for 60 years, Daniel held his integrity. For 60 years, Daniel remained the same. Here's the point. Be consistent. Come on. Be consistent. Because when the time came for Daniel to be used again, to come off the shelf, he still had that excellent spirit. He still had that presence of God. He still had that which was deposited in him a long time ago. How many of you know that lots of things can happen in 60 years? Some of you haven't been around that long to know that. Can I just tell you from, I'm about in three years time to hit 60. So I'm getting close enough to that. But uh, let me tell you, a lot of things happen to you in the course of decades. And can I just say to you, there's, Lots of opportunity for you to get off track. There's lots of opportunity for you to become bitter in spirit, angry. Unfair is probably one of the best descriptions of what hurts people. Is when stuff happens to you where it's unfair and unjust. I don't deserve this. And you don't. But stuff happens in life that you don't deserve. Here's the challenge for you. Can you remain consistent in the middle of it all? Because let me tell you, a lot of stuff happened to Daniel, not least of him being made a eunuch. How many of you know that that can create a, a little bit of dissatisfaction somewhere down the tribe when you're made a eunuch? But the thing with Daniel is that he just kept his sweet spirit through it all. Through it all. So as a young man, you know, it's easy as a young man to, to have a sweet spirit because everything's ideal. But now he's not a young man. He's an old man. He's, he's seen a lot of stuff. But still, he's on track. There's still something about him that's uh, consistent. Come on, here it is. Allow your creativity to be unpredictable. But your integrity to be totally predictable. So I, you know, I, 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 I want to turn up here on a Sunday and be unpredictable with my creativity, but be totally predictable with what I'm going to say. 
I want you to be able to predict my integrity. I need for you to predict my exposition of the Bible to be true to Scripture and true to theology. I need for you to feel safe in my consistency because as far as your pastor sees it, it's one of the greatest gifts I can give you is the gift of consistency. For you to keep turning up here Sunday after Sunday and seeing the same man, loving his people, loving his God, loving his wife, not necessarily in that order. Probably God first, then the people. Ah, sorry, then the wife. <laughs> uh, do, you know, do you know, for me, it's pretty clear. You've got so much love that you don't have to divvy it out. You know, love, love is, is, is abundant. And so you know, it's not like a pie where if you give a third away, you've only got two thirds left. Love, love is ever flowing. And it doesn't matter how much you give, there's plenty left over to give out. And so I've got lots of love for my wife. I've got lots of love for my kids. I've got lots of love for my people. And there's plenty of it, plenty of it there. And you know what happens when you've got that understanding? You, you, you can so maneuver yourself that where the demand is, is where you put it. And sometimes the church is more demanding. Other times the family is more demanding. Other times the marriage is more demanding. But you so maneuver where love says, no, at this time, this is where the love has to flow. And so you maneuver it around. You understand what I'm saying? Because there's a, there's, a, there's a river of love that needs to flow out of our lives as long as we don't let bitterness and resentment strangle the pipe from which the river of love comes out of. And with some people, they just let all the stuff of life just strangle it so that all it pops out is a drop here and a drop there rather than a river of love flowing out. You keep a sweet spirit and that river is able to flow out. There's an abundance for all the people around you. There's just an abundance of love that flows out of you. Isn't that what you want? Come on, isn't that what you want? How many of you noticed that over you know, the last uh, year or so, I've been attacked dreadfully. I've been attacked and, and the enemy's tried to constrain that river. And you know what? He's not going to win. God's going to win. I'm not going to let the events of the past determine how I'm going to do life. I'm not going to let any negative circumstance tell me how to live life. I'm the master of that. I'm going to determine which way I'm going to live life. And so can I prophesy into your life? Let God make a stand for you as you make a stand for him. And let consistency be the thing that is so beautiful. Can I just say to you as parents, how many parents have we got here? Can you be consistent in your parenting? Can you be consistent? What, what a challenge it is to be consistent in your parenting. And so I, I, I know that having come from an Italian background, emotions are part of our deal. Ah, ah, I, I tell you, you know, I've seen my mum emotional. And so really emotional, incredibly emotional. I used to so press my mother's buttons that she'd bite her hand when I was a little kid. That's how many of you know kids can do that? 
you know, Pastor John, were you like that? Hey, I wasn't a pastor when I was six or seven years of age. Okay, just get that sorted. I was just a normal little kid with, you know, with, uh, with normal kids' behaviors. But I can still remember my mother biting it. She'd go, John! And she'd bite her hand and get down on her knees. And it was like, what are you doing to me? I, I mean, I, I've repented severely. But you can see the emotional scars of what I did. My mother is still there, you know. So, so the point that I'm making is that I, I determined that when I became a parent, that I wanted to be in control of my emotions. And um, how many of you know that sometimes kids press every single button imaginable? And so one of the things that I determined was that I was never going to discipline my kids angry. And so what I would do, and Christelle's here, she's, uh, she was our worship leader this morning. She can testify to the fact that, I mean, I used to discipline Christelle. But how did I do that? Just send her to a room until my emotions were in order. Because I wanted to be consistent in my discipline. And so then... And, and see, this is the flip side. When your emotions are in order, you flip the other side where you don't want to do the discipline now because your emotions are in order. And so, so this is inconsistency, whether you let them get away with murder or over the slightest thing, they're in, you know, it's the end of the world. So consistency is able to say, no, let's do what the right thing is. Let's do what the right thing is and bring discipline into the family. And, uh, and so you need to bring consistency not only into your parenting, but into your marriage, where you become 100% predictable with the way that you behave in your marriage. So, so if you're married men, you need to be predictable. You can't, you can't have the wife and the kids opening the blinds when they see the car come into the driveway and try to work out whether you're in a good mood or a bad mood. Because it'll determine whether they all run and hide or whether daddy's home, you know, or quick, hide under the bed, daddy's home. What is that? You know, what is that? You know, you you sort it out, drive around the block five times until you can get your emotions sorted out because you actually are coming with a spirit. And and, And if you're a man, you come home, the man of the house is home. What does that mean? That means that the house ought to be filled with joy because daddy's home. The house ought to be filled with safety, because daddy's home. The house ought to be filled with love, because daddy's home. Has he had a hard day at work? Yeah, he has. Has he been pushed and shoved there? Yes, he has. But he's put that aside, because now he's home to be with a wife and to be with the kids and to be the man of strength and character that God... See, that's consistency, folks. That's consistency. And how many of you want that in your life? Consistency. Because if you don't become intentional, it's never going to happen. You're going to get tossed to and fro by the storms of life. You know, don't get tossed to and fro by the storms of life. Become intentional. Intentional about all that you do. Become consistent in your friendships. Are you the friend that's consistent or are you the friend that's wishy-washy? How many of you uh, don't even put up your hands? But Okay, this is... Uh, some of you have got friends that are what's called fair-weather friends. Now, you know what I'm saying? Fair-weather friends. So when the weather's good, they're there. 
But when you're in a storm, they don't, they, you, you don't know them. And so they're, they're the wishy-washy friends. And then you've got friends that are with you through thick and thin. They are dependable. They are consistent. And they're the friends that you love. Be that friend rather than the fair weather friend. Be that friend that's consistent. So this is point number one. Daniel was consistent. You know, 60 years later, hey, we need, we need someone that can speak on behalf of God. Who can we find? Daniel's the man. What? Daniel? Yeah, I've heard of him. Wasn't he around 60 years ago when our ancestor Nebuchadnezzar needed someone to speak on behalf of God? Yep. He was around then and he's still around today and he's still the same man. Wow. I don't know about you, but what a challenge that is. The challenge of consistency. Okay. Point number two. Let me read some more. Are you ready for me to read some more? Open up my Bible. How many of you think these iPhone things are just awesome? (laughs) You know, I've got on my iPhone, not, not just about 60 or 70 English translations. I've got every Italian translation that exists. I've got every Mandarin and Cantonese translation on here. Not that I can read them, but it's fun just to have it and, uh, and pretend that I'm reading. <laughs> I'm only kidding. <laughs> okay, verse 13. So Daniel was called in. The king asked him, are you the Daniel? who was one of the Jewish exiles my father brought here from Judah? I've heard about you. I've heard about you. Isn't that powerful? That ungodly people hear about consistent godly people. They'll hear about you. Can I just say to you, at work, if you hold your integrity, they'll hear about you. Why? Because in a world where people... playing around with their integrity. They're swapping and changing depending on what the weather's like. People that make a stand will be heard of. And not only will they be heard of, but they will be respected. Can I just say to you that they'll push and shove to see how real your integrity is. They'll push and shove at it because they don't believe that anyone can really hold their integrity if it's put under pressure. So they'll push and shove to see if you back down. But when they find you immovable, the respect goes miles high. Can I just say to you, some of you are facing some business business dealings right now where you are tempted to compromise your integrity. Make a stand for him, he'll make a stand for you. Not only that, but in the future, they'll come back to you and say, I can trust you because when you were pushed, you made a stand. Okay, here we go. Um, I've heard of you that you're full of the Holy Spirit, that you've got a brilliant mind, that you are incredibly wise. The wise men and enchanters were brought in here to read this writing on the wall and interpret it for me. They couldn't figure it out. Not a word, not a syllable. But I've heard that you interpret dreams and solve mysteries. So if you can read the writing and interpret to me, you'll be rich and famous. I'll give you a purple robe, put a gold chain around your neck and make you third in command of the kingdom. Wow. So you know what Daniel answered? You can keep your gifts or give them to someone else. I love that. You can keep your gifts 
or give them to somebody else. You can't bind them. I can't be bought. Here's point number two. Keep the things out of your heart. Come on. Keep the things. What am I talking about? The things. Third in command. Purple robe, that was the place of honor. The big gold chain around his neck. Sounds like something that... um, The bling, yeah, the gold chain, third in command, money, riches, all that sort of stuff. It's the things. Whatever the things are, every generation has the things. The things that you trade your soul for. The things that want to get into your heart. Daniel decided, I'm not going to let the things get into my heart. Come on. Can I talk to you really heart to heart this morning? Because there's a world out there that wants to get its spirit into your heart. The love of money. Paul talks to Timothy about it in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. It says the love of money. Not money, because money is a tool. How many of you know money is a tool? But it can become a spirit. Let me say it again. Money is a tool, but it can become a spirit. So when it's a tool in your hand, it's appropriate. But when it's a spirit in your heart... It becomes destructive. So while it's a tool in your hand, that's fantastic. But when it becomes a spirit in your heart, that's when it kills you. That's when it destroys you. And so this is what Paul was saying to Timothy, is that the difference is when money becomes the love of money, it becomes a spirit and it gets into your heart. And when it's in your heart, it destroys you. And, and, and this is what Paul says to Timothy. It causes people to stray from their faith. You know, over the years, that's exactly what I've seen. I've seen people, man, I can't, I just can't go to church. I've got to work. I've got to do this. I haven't got time for anything else. So I'm working so hard that on Sundays, it's my family time. Man, you're working too hard if you can't make time for God. So what? You're saying, I've only got this window and it's only for family and nothing else. There's nothing else available. Then you're working too hard. Are you saying don't spend time with your family? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying spend time with your family, but leave enough time for God as well. Huh? And you're saying, but I don't have time for both. Well, then something's gotten into your heart that's possessed you if you can't make time for both. Something's taken away your love. Come on, let, let, let me go a little bit deeper. How many of you want me to go a bit deeper on this one? So Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 6 talks about this God called Mammon. It's an Assyrian God. As a matter of fact, Mammon was alive and well during the times of Daniel. It was an Assyrian God and they worshipped it. So the best translation for it today is the God of things, the God of wealth, the God of materialism. It wants to possess your heart. And Jesus basically said, you can't serve God and Mammon at the same time. But this thing wants to take hold of you. And it's just not money, it's things. It's the things of this world. And can I just say that, that our young people are bombarded by things all the time. Come on, there's, there's a bombardment that wants to steal your time, your effort, your energies. He, he, you say, well, how do you discern it? Okay, you're asking me a great question because I'm going to give you the answer. Okay, okay, here it is. How to discern whether things have got in your heart? Look at what you spend your time with. Come on, what are you spending your time with? So, so here it is this week. 
Now, work is, you, you've got to earn a living. Apart from work, and, and you know, if you're doing more than 35 hours, then you start counting it, okay? So remove your first 35 hours. Now, start to add up where you spend the bulk of your time. Okay, let, let, you know, just find out. Are you spending a lot of time uh, extra work? Or are you spending a lot of time on computer games? Or are you spending a lot of time on television? Or are you spending a lot of time on social media? Or are you spending a lot of time on porn? What, what, what is it that's grabbing your time? Because what's grabbing your time then becomes an indicator of how much time you spend with God. So, so add it all up, how much time you spend at church, how much time you spend in the Word, how much time you spend in worship, how much time you spend meditating on the things of God. Add that up, and if you find that that is really, really small because something else is grabbing your time, that's mammon right there. You're worshiping at another altar. Come on, am I being strong enough or do you want me to get stronger on this? Because I'm I'm believing that God wants to raise up a church of integrity, a church of power, a church that has not lost its first love. And so I'm encouraging you today, your first love. How many of you remember what first love was like? First love was so sweet. Every, Every moment you're aching to be with your first love. Every moment you want to be with your first love. And, and, and now it's become old love. And now it's become old hat. And something else has taken its place. And that's what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2. He said, you've lost your first love. You need to get back to it. And he's Daniel being tempted to have something get into his heart. And his attitude is, no, you can keep it. You can keep it because God God's in control of my life and you can't tempt me to displace God and replace it with mammon. I love that about Daniel. And that's what caused great success in his life, that he kept the things out of his heart. Come on, guys, you've gotten awfully quiet on me. Awfully quiet. Um, If you can't say amen, say ouch. But um, ouch, let's move on. Point number three. And, And I love this. And you can come... Here at Liz, because point number three, and it's the whole, this this whole story, meanie, meanie, tickle you fasten, where the writing on the wall was simply numbered, weighed, and divided. Numbered, your days have been numbered. You've come short. You've been weighed, and you've come short, and now your kingdom is coming away from you. So, so God needed a mouthpiece to make sure that message was interpreted. See, this is the point. He could have written it in the language of the day. He could have spelled it out. It wasn't, so there was only three words there. Meaning, meaning, he repeated it twice. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Just three words, one repeated twice. But in such a language that nobody could read it. With such a meaning that nobody could understand it. So why did he do that? I'm telling you why. Because God is always looking for a mouthpiece. God is always looking for a man, a woman, that can be used of God. And across that whole kingdom, there was a man whose name was Daniel. And he was God available. He put up his head and he says, God, if you need a mouthpiece, it's my mouth. If you need some hands... 
it's my hands. If you need some feet, it's my feet. He put himself out there and said, God, I'm God available. And I can remember a young man many, many years ago, back in the late 70s that did exactly the same thing as a teenager. He said, God, here am I, use me. God, if you need a mouth, use mine. If you need hands, use mine. If you need feet, use mine. But God, I'm available. And God heard the cry of that young man and raised him up to be the pastor of this church. And you know what? That hasn't changed in my heart to this day. There's still the prayer that rises up in my heart that says, God, would you use me to speak to your people? God, would you raise me up as your mouthpiece? What do you want me to say to your people? God, I just don't want to preach a theological message that tickles their ears. I want to be your mouthpiece. I want your words to penetrate deep into their hearts. So they're not going home saying, well, that was a nice message. But they're going home saying, I heard from God today. God spoke to me today. God touched my heart today. God reached out and touched me deep inside. Come on, God's not just looking for me. God's looking for others. Saying, can you become God available? But John, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the stuff that's happened in my life. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the stuff that's happened in my life. But you know what I decided a long time ago? I'm going to put that aside because that side wants to creep in and steal the amazing beauty of being used by God. Because there's nothing more beautiful in life than to be God's mouthpiece, than to be God's hands, than to be God's feet. There's nothing more beautiful. Let me tell you what happened on Friday. I was called to palliative care hospital where one of our parishioners, one of our members, Nick, went to be with the Lord. And I went into the room and there's Nick. The spirit had left his body. All that was left was the shell. But so peaceful. And I was able to just lay my hands on that shell and thank God for his life. And my tears are dripping down onto his chest. Just as I thanking God for the gift of his life. Just thanking God that this young man touched so many lives, that he walked in faith. He held on to his faith. On Tuesday, there's a funeral service, a celebration service right here in our auditorium for Nick. But what a joy it was just to be in that room. He said, Joy, you were crying. Yeah, but it's still a joy because I know where he is. I know that he's with Jesus. And all of a sudden, the things of this world grew so strangely dim. And that's what happened to Nick when he realized his days were numbered. The things of this world 
Grusto so strangely dim. And it was all about Jesus. It was all about eternity. It was all about the things of God. And if today I can grab hold of you and say, come on, there's a God of this world that wants to distract you from the God of eternity and steal your heart. But there's a message from God saying, I am the one who is your joy. I am the one who is your life. Take your gaze off the things of this world. Put your gaze on Jesus. And that will last you eternally. Come on. Come on. That's a message from heaven for some of you today. It's a message from heaven. Come on, let's bow our heads for a word of Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.